Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is brought to you by BSO and ABF Creative and is scheduled for one fall. And on the mic, we have the one and only Robert Latow. I got enemies, got a lot of enemies, got a lot of people trying to drain me of my energy. They trying to take the wave from your boy. That's it with your boy. Better pray for your boy. It's Robert Latow. Keep that same energy podcast. Let's get to the opening bell. Uh, this is Robert Latow to keep that same energy podcast. The legendary. Uh, the Heidi Jones, Woo! yeah, legendary, you know, I like that NFL player. But now, let me, I, I just found this out that you got a, a new thing that you're going to do, an endurance athlete, and you're, you're doing a, a special about other uh, minorities that are uh, in endurance athletics, which is not something that we really talk about a lot in the mainstream. Tell me how you got involved in doing this and, and then how you got involved with this project. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this, you know. Um, a lot of people know me as a football player. You know, I played for 11 years and I started off in New York, went to Philadelphia, went to the Super Bowl. We lost, unfortunately. Um, and then I went over to the Bengals and I, and I finished my career there. But my sports career really started in the endurance space, right? B- before I started playing football, which I didn't start until I got to high school, you know, I was a runner. I was a cyclist. I was a mountain biker. I was a swimmer. And every single time I pulled up, uh, to the starting line, I was by myself. Every single time that I was climbing, or what we say is hammering on your mountain bike, I was by myself. You know, even in in sort of these different worlds of endurance sport, I just felt alone. And then I transitioned into the world of football, and then I found so many people that you know that were like me. And so, uh, when Gatorade Endurance came to me and said, you know, would you like to host someone like me speaker series to highlight the experiences of you know, minority groups in the world of endurance sports? I was like, yes, because I want more people uh, to know that there are others out there that look like you, that are like you, that are doing these different sports. And I want to inspire individuals to explore in- endurance sports, right? Because they see someone like themselves having success in endurance sports and you don't have to just play the the big three you can get you can get out there and run you can get out there and do different things how is it when uh, like you talk about the big three you know and and we go to that big three because like you said that's where our friends play that's where the people that look like us play that's where you know our idols and heroes you know have played when you were out there in the endurance sports and you didn't see that how are you treated and, and how is that different um, than, you know, say play football, playing basketball and things like that? And how did you handle it? Well, it's, um, uh, it's very similar uh, to my interview with Max Fennell or very similar to my interview with Allison Desir or Chris Mosier. Um, you know, people look at you strange. You know, people call you names. Um, people challenge, why are you here? Um, and so we've all been through those experiences. I mean, I can remember, you know, pulling up to the starting line on, on, a, um, on a triathlon when I was younger. And, you know, I, I don't remember exactly what was said, but I can understand and I can see the people that were next to me in the line wondering, like, why am I here, right? Shouldn't I be picking up a, a ball and going to shoot it? Shouldn't I um, line up in a, in a, 
in a two-point stance and, and knock someone's head off as they come at me as a linebacker, right? Um, and so it was, it's this world of uh, being uncomfortable that I lived in for so long. And now as I look at people like Keontae Story or Chris Mosier, as I mentioned before, I get excited because they're able to tell their story, right? You know, Keontae Story, you know, he's a, you know, a United States um, Marine Corps veteran who's an adaptive athlete. He, you know, he's climbed to the top of Mount Vincent in Antarctica. This is phenomenal, right? right? Black man who's an adaptive athlete, think about that, right? He's standing on the top of the mountain looking at everybody else saying, that's right, I made it up here. And he's saying to the people out there saying, you know what, you can do that too. And Chris Mosier, right? Triathlete, six-time member of Team USA, transgender, right? The first of so many things, but, you know, the first transgender athlete in the ESPN body issue. Think about that, right? And, you know, he was talking about all the different things that, you know, that he endured as he went through his own evolution of, of, the, of the sport and those that um, looked at him. So it's a up and down across the board, but the psychological aspect of knowing that there are other people out there that are fighting that same fight and there are other people out there that are willing to support you and there are other people that are out there that are rooting you on encourages you to do that. So, Robert, I hope that you're going to get out there. You're going to run a, you're going to run a marathon. I know that, right? Wait, wait, hold I, on. Wait, wait. I'll, I'll start off with the 10K. I need to run something because – All right, 5K? Um, I have to run something because this quarantine weight is, is, is something serious. So, I, I'm going to have to get out there. Maybe, maybe a 2K. Yeah, <laughs> a 2K. <laughs> they got a 2K. I can, I can run a, a 2K. Well, I'll tell you this. So, uh, Diana Karen Morales, she was oh. another person I got to interview, and she's oh. a she's a sneakerhead, right? And you know, she was talking about how everybody thought when she started running that she was gonna do she was going to do other things, and now she oh. just really enjoys enjoys running. And the one thing that I can recall that she talked about, she does is she actually. She actually engages on social media while she's out there running, mm. right? Because she wants to connect with her people. And mm. because she doesn't see enough in that community, she's like, you know what? I'm just going to pull up my phone. I'm going to talk to some people. It's going to get me through, you know, whether it's like the 10th mile or the 20th mile. You know, there's people out there that are celebrating me. And it's the same thing in, in the world of media or anything else that you do. If there's other people out there that look like you or other people out there that are like you, you feel that support and you feel that, um, that momentum or that encouragement to keep going despite the odds. When, when Gatorade came to you about this, were they specifically said, hey, let's go find, you know, people that look like you, minority people, or was it something like you said, hey, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to spotlight this, this sector of sports and, and that aren't normally hit you know, by the mainstream media to show that, you know, we're not just basketball players, football players, baseball players. We don't just run the hundred, you know, meters and stuff like that. How did it all come about with Gatorade? Was it kind of collaborative, you know, effort or, or did they say, Hey, we have this, it's this interesting idea. And then you kind of crafted it into what it is now. Well, I'd like to say there was a level of co-creation, mm -hmm. right? I, I think that anytime you approach a host, there's, there's an area of which you kind of, think about that internal design but in reality it was Gatorade's idea Gatorade Endurance said hey would you like to do this and in my mind I just cycled through real fast because I was like yes why wouldn't I want to do this this is absolutely something that I've been thinking about it and and now the fact that Gatorade Endurance is saying we would like to uh, allow we would like for you to talk to other people about this I mean 
it's it's phenomenal. It's it's kind of like I, I like I said so many times. I remember being in those positions and thinking to myself, "Is there anybody out there? Is there someone like me around?" Like I just think you know, it's kind of like it's almost like um you know, it's like a, a dream that all of a sudden becomes realized. And that's what's so amazing about it. How, how excited when you found the people that you wanted to, to interview, how excited were they to have this platform? Because I'll be honest, you know, I'm in, in media. I've been in sports media for a long time. The names weren't familiar to me. Mm-hmm. I had to go individually and say, okay, what is this individual person? And I was like, you, I'm like, man, this guy went on the top of the mountain. This guy's ran. I was like, <laughs> why, why don't I know, you know, these, these, these individuals, you know, how, so how, excited was them to, to see that their craft something that they worked their entire life for is now being spotlighted and shown in a way where they could tell their own story well i i can tell you this max Fennell was ecstatic <laughs> right he's the first you know professional black triathlete mm-hmm. and to be acknowledged is a big deal mm-hmm. uh to to be known and to be seen right and he you know he's a huge advocate for giving young black athletes access to endurance sports. And he's been working on that, right? He's been working on himself. And now to have Gatorade endurance uh, behind his momentum, that gives him a big lift. And so he is excited, right? Allison Desir, I mean, one of the things that she talked about is she's a big um, mental health advocate and how important it is uh, uh, endurance sports and for her specifically running and how that allowed her to work through his, her own uh, m- mental iterations and how it helped her ground herself, right? She's the founder of Harlem Run, Run for All Women, Running in Industry Diversity Coalition. I mean, she wants to foster inclusivity. And so you can only imagine when Gator Endurance calls her up and said, you know, we would love to interview and we would love to get behind and support some of the things that you've talked about. That's that's a that's an emotional boost, right? So in her world of of mental mental uh, health, that just made her made her feel amazing. And I think there's a lot of other people that would feel the same way. And it's and it's okay if if they don't have, let's just say, you know, two million followers on Instagram. There's more people in this world that don't have two million followers in in the world of Instagram than do, right? And there's more there's there's more people probably in the world that are in endurance athletes athletes um at the highest level that don't get exposure than than those that that play in in the big three right and we need to give everybody a certain level of acknowledgement because everybody can't play football everybody can't play basketball and everybody um you know can't play baseball but everybody can go outside and take a lap around their their neighborhood and the next time you take a lap maybe you make it a little bit longer and next time you take a lap, maybe make it a little longer. It's like you, you know, you said you want right. to do a 2K. Right. So you start off with a 2K, all right, Robert? <laughs> and then what you're going to do is you're going to move up to a 5K. And then you're going to move up to, you know, 10K. And now I'm going to see you out there, right? Yeah. I'm doing the same type of thing. I'm getting my body back where it needs to be because I'm not necessarily in, in endurance shape. But over the last 10 months of being home during, you know, this unfortunate pandemic, you know, I've, I've now you know, transition back to getting on my bike. And so during the week I've been riding between 200 and 250 miles, right? That's, that'll get you in shape, Robert. I'm telling you, that'll get you in shape. And then when it gets cold outside, cause now it's like 30 degrees out. So now I just started running. And so I started off just like you said, 
I started mm-hmm. off and I not 2K, but you know, mm-hmm. roughly 2K. I started off at two miles. Mm-hmm. And now the other the other day, I ran 10 miles. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. it kind of hurt. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of hurt. But I told Allison that I'd go mm-hmm. run with her. And I co- mm-hmm. told Chris Mosier, I'm gonna go run with him. Right? It's a whole community effort. And that's really what Gatorade Endurance is trying to create um, through this someone like me speaker series. And awesome. And so last question that I have for you, for people uh, that are going to watch it and they're like, hey, this is interesting. I didn't even know that there were minorities that were doing these things. What can you tell them that they should expect, uh, you know, from this show and hopefully more shows like this in, in the future? Well, I, I appreciate that because I hopefully, hopefully there's, <laughs> there's, there's more because there's so many stories out there. I think, mm-hmm. uh, I think expect a similar story, expect a similar story that you might've had yourself. Expect um, a a boost of motivation and and a a feeling that maybe you can get out there and do that too. Expect to see an emotion, um, you know, Chianti's story's, you know, journey uh, as an adopted, foster care um, kid at the age of 18 years old and finding his way through the, you know, the U S military. I mean, that story is powerful. I mean, there are emotional moments in every single one of the people that I've interviewed in their life. And, uh, and in some way, shape or form, we can all identify in some, in some, at some point, but the most important thing to kind of always realize is that there are people out there that are pushing the envelope. Right. Um, there, there are people out there um, and, and that are doing new things. And I think the one thing that uh, Diana Morales said is like other people don't other people's success doesn't limit yours. I think that was the quote that, that she says. And uh, and that means that whatever you want to do, it's out there for you. Um, you can find your own health and wellness in the distance that you desire. And that's what Gatorade Endurance and this uh, Someone Like Me Speaker Series has provided. You can check out the Gatorade Endurance Series on their Instagram page. It's definitely going to be interesting. It's not something that we normally talk about, uh, but what these athletes are doing are are quite incredible. Let's get to the news of the week. Let me just start by saying this. My wife's amazing. She, She just had a baby. She's doing all of the things. She's staying up. She's doing the breastfeeding. She's she's limited amount of sleep. Baby's perfect. Baby Harper Gray. She's beautiful. She's sweet. But you know, she's a night owl. <laughs> she, she's a night owl. She likes to be up at night, likes to see what's going on. During the day, knocked out. At night, wants to talk. But I just want to say this. You know, if you, if you just had a baby, you know, I appreciate you. <laughs> I know what you're going through. It's tough. It's tough. But it's amazing. It's one of the weird things. You know, like, yeah, you know, everybody likes to sleep. But then you look at the pretty pretty eyes of something that you created, and it's like, ah, it's not that bad. <laughs> it's not that bad at all. Hope all is well uh, as we get closer to Christmas. Got the uh, Rona vaccine hitting streets. We'll talk about that shortly. Uh, the first story, though, 
that I wanted to talk about was, did you see this uh, Eagles reporter? Some people say he's not a reporter. I, I don't know. I, I looked at his, his profile. He said he wrote for one of the Eagles' websites, so I figured he was a reporter. I think his name is Rush Joy or Russ something. Anyway, Jalen Hurts was, you know, started for the Eagles, beat the Saints, big game, played well. I should say he played, you know, less frantic than Carson Wentz. Sometimes it's just about not turning the ball over, making the right play, not trying to do too much, not taking sacks, stuff like that. I think sometimes that's all you need to maybe calm down uh, a situation. Anyway, when he, he threw his first touchdown pass, you know, he, he's, he's recently crossed over to the Q-Dogs. You know, a mega sci-fi side. And, you know, he throws up his little cute dog sign, you know, the dog, so, you know, the, the, the tongue off to the side and everything, right? Now, the the reporter, you know, just on Twitter, just trying to, you know, make a comment, whatever, said that uh, Hertz was channeling his inner Gene Simmons. Now, probably most of you who are under the age of maybe 40, maybe under the age of 50, <laughs> Yeah, maybe you have no idea who Gene Simmons is. If you're black, it's possible. Gene Simmons is the, the lead singer of, of a rock band called Kiss. Big in the 80s. Um, I don't know if they were in the 70s or, or the early 90s, but I know they were big in the 80s. Back when the rock bands, you know, kind of dressed like WWE characters, or I should say WWF characters. And he did thing with his tongue. He always stuck out his tongue. That was kind of his thing. So the reporter said, you know, he's channeling his inner Gene Simmons and that caused the internet to go nuts. Uh, specifically, uh, the minority part of the internet who, you know, told him that, you know, this was a, uh, a fraternity thing and, you know, should know black culture and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'll be honest with you. i tell you a couple of things. First off, I'm pretty sure the majority of the white reporters had no idea what Jalen Hurts was doing. Now, maybe they wouldn't say he was channeling his inner Gene Simmons, but they don't know. So people were asking, like, Rob, is this a big deal? Is this a big deal, Rob? Should we be upset? Should we be outraged? You know, I'm not big with the, the, the whole outrage. Everybody's outraged about everything for like a day. <laughs> but people, you know, is there a racial aspect to it, and, and I look at it like this: you got, you got Sometimes you got to look at things from a broader perspective. Like I don't know this guy's history, so I can't, you know, if he has a history of like weird stuff like this, maybe. But I, to my understanding, he doesn't have any type of weird history, and he, he acknowledged the fact that he made a mistake and tried to roll with the punches. Just the thing is, is that you know, the world is huge, right? <laughs> And everybody doesn't know everything about everybody. You know, so say you were watching cricket. <laughs> you know, maybe you don't know all the customs or whatever. Now, one can say if you are a football reporter, you should know these things. But this, what he did was not correlated or had any connection to football. You know what I mean? Like, if a white guy did some weird dance, 
and it was part of a uh, what's it called K-pop, the Korean pop. I wouldn't know what it was. Somebody would have to tell. Me. I would say hey, maybe the dance is you know maybe he's challenging his inner kid and play, and then somebody would say no, Rob, that's the city kids or whatever the the K-pop guys. I don't know. It's hard when you get old. When you get old, you have a detachment from whatever it is the, the young people are talking about. There's a lot of stuff that the young people listen to and do that I have no idea. Every time one of these rappers gets shot, I've never heard of the guys. Yeah, I, I haven't heard of uh, like the, the King Vons and all of these. Like, I, I hadn't heard of them until they got shot. So, you know, it, it's sometimes just a disconnection. Now, there's maybe an overall sense that the sports media is 90% white males and especially with football and basketball specifically uh, the majority of those athletes are black males so there's this cultural disconnect of the people that are reporting on them and who they actually are now how much does that carry over to the actual reporting I don't know you would want a little more diversity considering the amount of people you know that that are of color that are playing the sport. But overall, I just didn't think it was a big deal. I think that's social media in a nutshell. People kind of latch on to something and then it becomes a big deal. It becomes trending. But I, I, I thought it was more funny uh, than anything else. And if I was Jalen Hurts, I'd wear a Gene Simmons uh, shirt uh, to the game next week. Do you think James Harden is going to get traded? It's a, it, James Harden is an interesting uh, situation in the sense that I think everybody knows he's a, a a very good player, Hall of Famer. He'll be a Hall of Famer. Well, he's 31 years old. Uh, he's never been seriously uh, hurt um, in any season. You know, he's had a little nicks and things right there, but you know his career is not, not bad. Normally plays anywhere between, you know, 60 and 82 games. I mean, you know he can score. I know he can pass. It's just, I don't know. It's just, there's something that's just not quite right. (laughs) In the sense that maybe you don't want to trade your entire, you know, future for him. I was talking about this on BSO is that in, you could see the vision of pairing LeBron James with Anthony Davis. You knew that was going to work. Now, it didn't necessarily mean they were going to win a title, but you knew they were going to be uh, a lot better, right? If you put James Harden on the Heat or you put James Harden on the Nets, put James Harden on the, the Sixers, you feel comfortable that they're still going to make it to the NBA Finals. You know, he's not one of these young guys that are, is getting traded. I mean, he's not old. But I, I just don't know. You know, I just don't know. Like, I, it's... I would feel iffy in trading a lot from him. And that's crazy considering somebody's, you know, averaging 34 points a game and has led the league in scoring three years in a row and has led the lead in assist before. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's had a 
you know, a, basically a 38 and 11 season. And now we're talking about the guys had a, a 36, 6 and 7, 36 points a game. Those are, those are Jordan numbers. And he's been fairly consistent from the time that he's gotten to Houston. He's going to shoot around 44%. His three-point percentage is going to be around 35%, 36%. And his free throws are going to be around 85 86%. Like, he's, you know what you're getting. You know, in, in, in the playoffs, interestingly enough, um, the averages as far as the points and the assists, all that is about the same. What goes down, though, is the shooting percentage. Now, I don't know if that's a product of his game when it comes to the playoffs, but that that's a problem. You know, when you're scoring, you can score 31 points, but if you're shooting, in, this, in his case, around, you know, 41%, that's giving the opponent a lot more possessions because you're bricking a lot. I, you know, I, I wouldn't do it. I understand the Rockets should hold off until they get the best deal that they can. But if I was a team, I, I just wouldn't do it. I would roll with my Ben Simmons and 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 uh, Embiid's. I would roll with what the the Heat have. I just roll with it. I just I just don't. It's just something about them that just doesn't scream. Let's give up everything for James Harden. I just feel like that that's not going to get you where you want uh, to go. Could be wrong. Yeah, could be wrong. But that, that's how I feel about the situation. Uh, a lot of people ask me, what do I think about you know Kyrie Irving and the media? Uh, he did talk to the media after calling them pawns and all of that stuff. I just think Ky- I told you, I think Kyrie's a different cat. That's all. Like it's also if you win, that's all that matters. Like nobody cares if you're weird if you win. Like like Andre three thousand. Like nobody really cares, you know, that he he's unique. He's his own person. You know why? Because the verses are dope. So nobody cares that he's playing a harp or whatever outside. You know, just ran. You know, just you know, in the middle of nowhere. Nobody cares. If you win, no, nobody cares. If you're talented and you win, nobody cares about the other stuff. So if the Nets go on to win the NBA Finals, then it doesn't matter. Now, if you lose, the media is a very vindictive, evil place. And they will go about, you know, making their stories that say that his personality is the reason why it's not working. So... That's just the way it is. I think it's very simple. I don't think it's a complex issue. When you're good, you can do all the stuff that you want to see and, and all of that stuff. If you lose, they're going to they turn on you. That is life. <laughs> that is life. So I don't think too much of it. I, you know, The thing is, talking to the media is in the contract. If it wasn't in the contract, I'd say you wouldn't have to do it. Um, I say, hey, it's not in the contract. I do it. If it's in the contract, you got to do it. That's just the way it works. You sign the deal, you you have to expect it to do what's in the contract. Contract says you have to do media 
every other day or after the game, whatever. You just got to do it because you signed the contract. You didn't want to talk to the media. You should have not had it in the contract. That's the way I look at it. Now, does he have to give us the, you know, give people the answer that they really want? No, not not at all. He could easily just, you know, say whatever he wants to say. He'd be very generic if he likes. Just 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 do it. Not a big deal. It is, it is not it is not a big deal uh, at all. What in the blue hell? Did you see Malik Beasley uh, profess his love for Laza Pippen? On Instagram, even after everything that happened, he professed his love. Said he's willing to give up his wife, his kid, his side chick stripper, which is probably why she leaked a lot of the information for Alaza Pippen. I don't know what she's all done to this young boy. It sounds like an episode of Power, to be honest to me, which is not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> if you smell what the rock is cooking, that's not necessarily a good thing if it sounds like an episode of Power. That's a lot, man. That's a lot for someone that, you know, future just kind of threw in the trash. Literally everybody else. That's how when you're 24 and you're dealing with a 46-year-old one. She, she literally like she turned them out. Imagine all of that happening to you. And instead of thinking to yourself, you know, I messed up. You know, let me go back home to my wife and kids. Imagine doubling down on it. And being like, yeah, I love you. You make me so, so happy. I'm giving up everything for you. She's not going to want him now. Yeah, she's not going to want him now. That's that's how it goes. Now that she got him, she's not going to want him. Wild times at the beginning of the uh, the NBA season there. What's wrong with my mouse? Now my mouse not working. Hmm. <laughs> Cold blood. Yeah, I don't know what's happening there. My keyboard and all this stuff's not working. Uh, did you see about the one couple that was like, uh, I don't even know that. Whatever they do in Utah, where they got like nine wives and stuff, but they they fell in love with the roommate, <laughs> both of them. So now it's like three of them and they're all swingers and stuff. I, you know, you know. So there's a lot of swingers, um, in the NBA. I don't know about the NFL, but in the NBA, there's a lot of swingers. There's a lot of swinging going on in the NBA. I think I've, I've talked about that before. You know who. There's a lot of swinging. And you think, you know, LaMelo Ball is making good passes. You should see what's being passed around in the NBA. You'll be surprised. If you ever wondered why, you know, like, hey, all these guys seem to they mess around with the same, you know, girls. That's a reason uh, for that. <laughs> That's definitely a reason uh, for that. And, I, and, hey, I'll let you know another little secret. They're not just swinging with the ladies. Yeah. And, and look, there ain't nothing wrong with, you know, that I don't have to do you. But yeah, they not, they not just swinging. With the ladies. <laughs> Swinging with the fellas. Too. You, you, if, you, if, you, if you look hard enough, you, you know who it is. You can tell which ones are doing it. It's not surprising. You just got to look. If you just look, you can tell. 
Real easy to spot. Not hard at all. Real easy to spot. Uh, did you see Snoop Dogg say he didn't uh, care for WAP? Cardi B and Megan D. Stallion didn't care for the WAP. Probably another situation where the uh, message wasn't bad. Uh, the messenger is probably an issue. I mean, we are talking Snoop Dogg. I mean, there's any number of songs that you could point out uh, that would be uh, pretty hypocritical of him saying it. Now, he, he did say for, for full context, he did say if he was in his 20s, he probably would have hopped on the remix. But as a man, you know, I guess getting close to his 50s, he sees things a little bit differently. And I, I think that's fair. Like I said, the message is not bad. I think if you're a man in your 40s and 50s and maybe you have daughters, you know, ideally you don't want them talking about their WAP publicly out there. You, you probably don't want them just, you know, twerking and, and being half naked on the gram. Ideally, you wouldn't want your young daughters doing that. I don't think that's a hot take. Right, I think the mothers too. I think you know it's not just the guys. I think ideally, you wouldn't want your sixteen, seventeen year old daughter talking about WAP and, and twerking for everybody to see. I don't. I don't think that's a hot take, you know, at all. Like I said musically, I don't think you can tell people what they can and can't do from a music perspective. You know, because you know. We, once again, like Snoop said, we, I mean, we, we grew up on uh, Two Live Crew and, and N.W.A. and Ghetto Boys and Pac and Biggie and, you know, all, you know, and what they were talking about in regards to the ladies, you know, wasn't the, the nicest thing in the world. I mean, have you really listened to Biggie's verse on Get Money? <laughs> yeah. Basically, promoting domestic violence. I mean, if you listen to some NWA, she swallowed it, all of that stuff. So we can't be hypocritical about the music. Because, you know, that's that's their art. It works, you know, for them because that's their brand. You understand what I'm saying? You have to realize, what is your brand as a, as a young lady? If you want to be a rapper and, and that's what you want to do, then, I mean, I guess that's fine. You know, but if you want to do some other things, you, you have to take that type of stuff into consideration. The same for guys, too. You want to go in certain professions, you can't act a certain way. So I understood what Snoop was saying, but you, you know how it goes. Once again, message, messenger. It's one of those things where everybody can be right. They They have creative license to create whatever popular music that they want to have. And I think people can also say in a ideal world, uh, that's not something that you would just, you know, generally just have open conversations about. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, if I'm wrong, tell me. I think that's one of the problems with, with social media. It's also why I don't get into the discussions on social media. It's one of the big, like, like, common sense would be if you had a young 
daughter, a young woman in her teens, maybe even her early 20s, ideally, you know, some things you want to keep, you know, private, right? Especially if they're, they're, they're not even adults yet. You know, absolutely. I think I don't think nobody would disagree with that. So, you know, I don't even think that Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion would disagree with that. Now, if you're a grown woman, you know, you're 25, 26 years old, you do whatever, what you want to do. It's your choice. It has nothing to do with us. You know, but, you know, the whole thing about, you know, it's twerking, you know, disrespectful, it's not classy and stuff. You know, you got to be careful with that because with, with black men, you know, you say if you wear dreads or do this, then, you know, you're a thug and everything. Like, so you got to, with black people, you got to watch out because everything we do is a stereotype. Everything we do have a negative connotation. So you want to be careful, you know, knocking, you know, each other. But I don't think there's anything wrong with having, you know, some set of morals and guidelines that you would want to have, especially for your kids. You know, you got to be real careful, you know, because, you know, they're not making millions of dollars. You know, a lot of this is marketing. You know, you do certain things with marketing. No different than the Kardashians. You know, that's, that's marketing. It's not real life. And most of us have to deal with real life, you know, issues. Right, take that into consideration. Before you start talking about Chwamp. The Injustice League. I know you saw Trump's Proud Boys in D.C. causing a ruckus, uh, vandalizing churches, burning Black Lives Matter uh, signs and stabbing people and, and just being the, the racist uh, that they are, the violent terrorists that they are. Um, what's interesting to me is that you always hear the white supremacists, the racists always talk about Black Lives Matter protesters or protesters in general. Uh, when people are protesting against racism and police brutality. What's interesting is those protests are always a reaction to something. And the reaction is normally, you know, a cop putting his knee on somebody's neck for 10 minutes, uh, them shooting someone in the back. Murder more than more than not. You know, when someone uh, gets killed, you know, that the reaction is to go out and, and be angry uh, about that. Uh, when white people go out and, and do the same thing, it's because of stupid stuff like masks and votes. Like, I mean, like, do you even think about the difference in that? Black people and, and the, the white people that's on the right side of history, they're upset because people are getting murdered, shot in the back, killed, discriminated against, assaulted. That's why they're upset. MAGA were upset over masks and voting absentee ballots. And that's what causes them to go stab people and riot. And as you notice, the, the National Guard was nowhere to be found. The police took hours to show up. If five black guys are just walking down the street, a thousand police officers would show up. It took them hours to get out there and stop the Proud Boys from vandalizing things. If five black guys were at a white church, 
vandalizing the church, how quick do you think the response would be? The tanks would be rolling down the street. But if you notice at these Proud Boy rallies and things like that, the cops are very, if they're even there, very laid back, let them do whatever they want to do. They're often um, armed in their Call of Duty gear. Nothing happens. You know, we, we talked about the beginning of the segment about, you know, there's two Americas. And one part of that is just culturally, you know, people grow up in different areas. People have different friends, you know, they're, ex- they're exposed to different things, which I think is fine because that gives you opportunities to learn. As someone who grew up in the Midwest, like I had no idea of the culture of New York or uh, the s- Florida or Vegas, West Coast, East Coast, uh, Carolinas, all that stuff. Like, I didn't, I wasn't exposed to that until, you know, Texas, until I actually got out there and, and, and lived life. To me, that's fine. If you're a white person that's lived in a predominantly white neighborhood all your life, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect you to know every member of the Wu-Tang Clan. Now, that doesn't mean you can be racist. It's just saying I, I, I don't expect that. Now, but the other two parts of America are the, the ones where we're just objectively treated differently just by the color of our skin. That's that uncomfortableness of being black in a country where you're not sure if any encounter because of the color of your skin, will cause you serious problems. So, that's something that white people don't have to worry about. So, when they go out and do all the rioting and all that stuff, they they do it in a position of, nothing's going to happen to us. We're protected. I go back to the guy that was in the car, had his, had his gun, was threatening to kill people. He just knew they wouldn't go shoot him because he's white. Black guy has a knife. Cops 20 feet away. They shoot him 12 times in front of his mom. Like that's 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 an irrational disconnect. It's not close. Like the, the premise of everybody being treated equal is, is not, it's really not attainable. Just human nature is, you know, your your brain processes certain things differently depending on your experience. I understand that. But you want it close. It's not even close. It's not close. And that, that's really the, the sad part of it all. It's like you would think an evolved country after all of these years would be, you know, close. Close to what we're actually saying that we are trying to achieve as a country. But alas, we're not. And that's sad. But it's actually uh, not surprising. Uh, Not surprising at all. Keep the same.
Are you going to take the Rona, a vaccine? That's a big debate. I look at it like this. This is, this is what I tell everybody. I look at vaccines the same way that I look at iPhone updates. Yeah, I want to be the first one to do it. You ever get like a video game? You download it and it has all glitchy when you first start? You got you to gotta let that. I know you want to play as soon as you get it. But you got you to let that go like 24 hours. And get that patch. So I do, I do believe in. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I do not trust the government. That That is true. So I can understand, especially why black people would be a little hesitant to trust the government on anything. But you have to realize there's a lot of stuff that we put in our bodies that we don't know what the hell is going on with. Every time you eat that Popeye's chicken sandwich, you're not exactly sure what's going in your body. You know what I'm saying? You're not exactly sure. You know, like I, I don't take the flu shot only because I took the flu shot once and I got the flu. So I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not like one of those people say, just don't do it and such and such and all that stuff. I'm saying it's personal choice based on your personal, you know, health. So you have to take that into consideration. I just wouldn't be comfortable being the first batch. I mean, unless I was really sick, I wouldn't be comfortable being that first batch. I need to see what the side effects are first. That's kind of like people that get the iPhone and next thing you know, they're like, oh, I got the iPhone. Here's my update. I got a new emoji. But all of a sudden, their phone is shutting off and Wi-Fi is not working. Yeah. Figure out what's happening first. You know, then, then, you know, go ahead and get it. If, if you need it, if you feel like you need it. If you don't, you don't. I get you. If you feel like you need it. Now, the reason this is in the Keep That Same Energy segment is that I find it interesting that the people who said the, the Rona was a hoax, who don't wear a mask, are also the first ones that want the vaccine. You know, I'm talking about the people in the White House and MAGA. They're the first people that want it. They're also the ones that get the secret treatment. That all of a sudden makes you recover like in two days. But they're also the same people that said it's not, you know, it's not that bad. It's like, it's just like the flu. But if it's just like the flu, why don't you wait for the other people that really need it to get it? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, so wait, you know, what, what, if like the iPhone comes out with what, you know, iOS 12. And then I would, you know, always wait till like iOS 12.0.3. Get all them bugs out of it. I think I think they just came out with 14. I was still like on 13.6. And now they're on like 14.3. And I just updated and everything works fine. Everything is version A okay. I'm gonna see if I got some new emojis. So if I was you, you know, if this is if if right now is vaccination 1.0, you know, maybe you wait to 3.0, 1.3. And then it should be good. Let your neighbor get it and then see how he acts next two, three months. <laughs> He's not walking funny or anything. Then go ahead and take it. Uh, last thing I wanted to talk about was Floyd Mayweather fighting uh, Logan Paul. 
Yeah, I, I talked about. I think I talked about it a little bit before. But people, somebody said I was I was watching something on the YouTubes, and they were like, "This is not right. They're using race as a way to make money, and and the YouTubers are the ones making all the money, and not the boxers, and all of this stuff." And yeah, yeah it's all true. <laughs> it's all true, but I don't know what you want them to do. Ideally, we all want to make as much money as possible. By any means necessary. Right? <laughs> so, I mean, what do you expect from Floyd Mayweather? I mean, that's that's what he's going to do. You know what I mean? I mean, what do you think he's going to make the YouTubers make a lot of money? If I had, you know, if I had more time, I would, you know, I would, I would be a YouTuber. That's where the money's at. The only thing is, you need time. Like I would like have to just not, like really do BSO anymore. Somebody else would have to do it. Cause you gotta edit and you gotta have the content. You gotta do three or four videos a day. But I, I certainly would do it. I don't know if there's more money in it than, you know, the site at the moment. But there's definitely money in it. If you consistently put, you know, you consistently put out videos and say you can get, I don't know, 500,000 video views a, a month. Uh, you'll be making a nice little check. Every once in a while, I I put up a video and it get you know, 30,000 views. I made a couple hundred bucks. So, just a match. So you know, it's like people. When we, that's just what it is. When there's the easy way to make money, that's what I'm gonna do. I will say this: at least, I mean, I mean, at least there's a a height and weight difference. I don't know what they're gonna fight at. Logan Paul is what about six, six one, six two, six one. And what about almost two hundred pounds? And Mayweather's he's listed at five ten, but he's probably more five eight, five seven. One fifty, one fifty four. Maybe he's got a little bigger in retirement, one sixty. I don't know. I'm gonna watch twenty five bucks. You're gonna watch too, just like everybody, oh, we're not gonna watch Tyson and Roy Jones and da da da. You watch I don't know if it's actually the 1.5 million pay-per-view as they say, but it was a lot. They may be fudging the numbers a little bit, but it was still a lot. A lot more than Terrence Crawford or Earl Spence or Triple G or Canelo's getting right now. More than Wilder Fury, too. So, yeah, you're going to watch. Especially at $24.99. They probably going to throw some more people on there, maybe they throw Jake on there with another basketball player, they're not stupid, you're going to watch, it's not traditional boxing, but yeah, you're going to watch, everybody, you know, is trying to get paid, in 2020, if you can get paid, that's what you got to do, be sure to check out the website, blacksportsonline.com, register for my email list for all the new updates, Listen to this podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. 
Follow me on Twitter at BSO, Facebook, Black Sports Online, Instagram, BSO TV, and much appreciation to my podcast partners at ABF Creative for all their hard work in making this weekly podcast a success. I'm out.